0: What would it look like to make church relational again? Across the world, there seems to be a disruption in the way we've done church. In fact, some are so done with church that they're called duns. yet they're not necessarily done with Jesus. We love Jesus. We love the church. Yet so often the cacophony of unhealthy Christian culture can confuse our perceptions of God. Welcome to the Relational Revolution podcast. It is our hope in these conversations to distinguish the signal of Christ from the noise of Christianity. We invite you into an ongoing exploration of rediscovering church as heart-to-heart connection. Welcome to the Relational Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Jason Twombly. We're glad to be with you.
1: And I'm your other host, Chad Waller, and I am so glad to be doing this with Jason. What a privilege.
0: Chad, we're finally launching this podcast. We've been talking about connecting and taking some of our conversations that we have personally and just putting on the air, putting them on the airwaves and inviting other people uh, into this relational revolution. So... Uh, thank you for carving out um, your valuable time and energy to be with us, to our listeners, and we have so much to uncover as we dialogue what it looks like to make the church relational again. Uh, Chad, let me ask you this: What one thing would you want to see happen as a result of launching this relational revolution podcast?
1: I, I can tell you that easily, Jason. I want I want people to discover how much relational revolution can transform their walk with Christ. I was a pro at three things that at some point we'll talk about that everyone is told to do in order to see transformation. And yet there was one thing missing for me, and that was the deep connection of relationship. Uh, And and it it has transformed everything for me. And so I'm very excited, very excited that people, I know there are so many people who have given up probably that are going to connect to this. And guys, I'm just telling you, I think I found your secret.
0: (laughs) Amazing. So tell me a little bit more about what makes um, this deep connection important
1: to you. Well, so for me, um, I had begun to find this with just a handful of people and it re- re- really experienced this over the last uh, five to 10 years, but had no words for it and, and truly didn't understand what was taking place. And then um, through some uh, friends, I was invited into a space where they did uh, things at table uh, that they called church that I had never seen done in such a way. And it was actually... Uh, the connection that brought me to Jason because I didn't know it at the time, but I was sitting at a table with people Jason had trained to do these very um, uh, rhythms. And I fell in love with it. Like from the first day, I was like, this is what I've been looking for. And there was such deep connection. I remember walking away the first day and thinking, this is what church is supposed to be like. And thinking, I don't ever want to do church. And I'm using the proverbial quotes. Don't want to do church without these rhythms ever again. Such a deep connection. There there wasn't a, a, a an astounding worship service with smoke and lights. There wasn't a, a, a five-point series message. There was nothing. It was just people connecting and doing certain rhythms that I'm sure, guys, you're going to learn through this podcast and it will revolutionize your relationships to live in an understanding way with others. And it will revolutionize your relationship with the Lord. Uh,
0: Chad, thank you for sharing straight from your heart. You're making uh, my heart smile. And even our listeners, I believe they're resonating with a lot that you're saying now. Um, I know we'll uncover more about you and, and your history of, uh, of being in the church and working in the church. Now, if you could tell us what this deep connection has has brought about in life change what would you say how has your life changed with these new rhythms of deep connection what would you say
1: so i would say first it's revolutionized my um time every morning with my wife melinda Uh, she's been gone for for a few days visiting some family And even in that space, we still are connecting every day to do what we call CO2, which I learned from Jason, is Church of Two. Um, Every single morning, Melinda and I have Church of One. That's where we meet with the Lord. Uh, And then we get together and have Church of Two. And that's where we connect and share. And um, we had had times together sporadically. But listen, we were in full-time ministry for 36 years. And so a lot of times our times together were in other groups or in church or on the go or in our drive to work that day. Hey, how are you doing? And, but it's changed the way we do check-ins, and you guys are going to hear a lot about that. It's changed the way we um, listen to the Lord together. It's changed the way we um, give each other permission to speak into each other's lives without being intrusive. For those of you who are done with the intrusive nature of so much of Christianity, you're going to find such a peace. It's like a breath of fresh air to learn gentle curiosity and to have someone ask permission to share with you something they see or hear. All of that has changed the way we are doing life together. Uh, Knowing that I have a friend like Jason that I do CO2 with, uh, and do check-ins with, and uh, uh, having someone attuned to uh, the pain in my heart and the joy in my heart, and you, you know you're, you're going to hear us talk about the fact that joy is knowing someone is happy to be with you no matter what. And I spent most of my life thinking if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't be happy to be with me at all. But finding that joy that that Jason, this man, knows everything about me. And loves me. I, it's, it's like the, the woman the whale experience. You've got to come see this man who knows everything I did, and he still loves me. And it changed lives. And I think that so many people are missing that deep relational connection. And we live in so much fear that someone's going to truly know us when the truth is truly knowing one another is our path to greater freedom. And uh, so it's, 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 it's revolutionized relationships throughout my life.
0: Celebrating uh, with you, Chad, the the deepening and the uh, level of authenticity in relationships that maybe you haven't had before, can you tell me how it's, how it's not only changed your life, but how has it changed the way that you feel?
1: How has it changed the way I feel? Now, let me pause for a moment and say you guys have got to get used to this because the way I used to be was answering a question. I gave no thought. I just answered it. If you understand the Enneagram, I'm an eight and I, nothing slows me down. Little slows me down. But one of the things these rhythms have taught me is I've had to learn to say the question, pause and think, and take time to understand what's really going on in my heart. So that's why I repeat the question How has it changed the way I feel? Wow, Jason. So it's changed the way I see myself. It's changed the way I feel about myself. It's changed the way I feel about the church. It's dealt with a lot of anger that I had because I love the church. First of all, y'all, I will always be a guy who loves the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I understand that so many are struggling with the church now, and I feel differently toward them because I understand there's something missing. And and it changes the way I feel toward people who left the church I pastored for the last 18 years who said something is missing. They were right. There was something deeper that needed to happen. and, And it's changed the way I feel about relationships. It's changed the way I feel about hard people, people I struggle with. It's given me a level of joy. It's caused me to be able to slow down and feel. I, as an Enneagram 8, man, dude, I don't even know what I'm feeling sometimes. Getting in touch with those feelings is difficult, and these rhythms have has literally taught me how to feel. Jason, you might not remember, but the very first day we met, complete God circumstances. I get a call, and someone says, this, this couple is moving into town from New York. Can you help? It's not like me to be like, yeah, I'll go help pick up heavy furniture and move. <laughs> I'm I'm tremendously um, introverted, but that day I felt Holy Spirit say, go. And so I did. And I I met Jason and we were talking. uh, It was, I mean, it it literally fell in love with Jason and his wife, Victoria, and the spirit that is so sweet on them. But that day I said something about being an Enneagram 8 and said, I don't know what I feel. And you said that day to me, it's okay, I'll help you. Man, if there ever been any prophetic words or overshadowing of things to come, dude, you have helped me learn how to get in touch with my feelings probably more than anything I've experienced through these rhythms and through this this literal relational revolution that's taken place in my heart.
0: Mm, That is beautiful. Ah, Yes, feelings are the the voice of our hearts, and sometimes we're disconnected from all those feelings because we're disconnected from our hearts and so as as we endeavor to uh, rediscover a church as healthy heart-to-heart connection I think that's one of the the goals of our, our conversation so we're talking about this relational revolution Chad some people uh, may be like what what are they what are they talking about and so uh, I'll just bring to uh, the forefront um, one of the launching pads for us, of what precipitated starting this conversation. And so there's a book that's been written from Luke 10. And Luke 10 is an organization that uh, I'm a trainer with. And uh, Chad and I share uh, time together on a leader team, uh, where we have a community of practice. And the book is called Relational Revolution. It's five shifts shifts for rediscovering church as heart to heart connection. It's written by John White, Tony Daniels, and Dr. Kent Smith. And it's our hope to go through um, each of these chapters. uh, In our show notes, we'll put a link to the book where you might want to uh, pick up a copy and join in the conversation. But what is this Relational revolution uh, that we're talking about, Chad. Do you have any thoughts on that, or would you like me to even start the conversation?
1: Yeah, I would. I really would like for you to to explain it more, Jay, because uh, you you've been involved in this, even in the formation of the book, and what the book came out of with Luke Ten. And I, I'm so excited and stoked to be a part of Luke Ten and learning. Uh, Jay is my. I'm I'm the Patti one. Let me get this right now. Um, you are the sensei, and I'm studying under you. I mean, you, you are helping me learn. So I just want to make sure our audience understands um, that I am learning every day more about this from Jason. Um, but Jason, you were involved from the beginning. So tell us, what was this idea of the relational revolution birthed out of?
0: Well, absolutely. I got involved with uh, Luke 10 about uh, three years ago. And I'm so grateful for uh, Luke 10. It's an organization from um, the 10th chapter of the Bible, and it's a lot about Jesus's strategy and and, and mission. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but I've learned more in these three years from the people. Mentoring me. And so the skill sets that I have, that I'm even passing on to others in a lot of our training sessions, are things that I've gleaned. And in these three years, I've learned more about um, ministry than I have in the last 30 years of ministry. And so I am standing on the shoulders of those who've passed. On those skills to me, and I'm so grateful uh, for them. And we will hopefully be in interviewing uh, the authors of this book, and we'll have some heart-to-heart conversation. But the relational revolution um, in this book, and I do love the title, is it's asking the question: uh, What is what is God doing? What is He doing uh, across the globe? And in their, in their book and in the introduction, they actually are asking the question and I'll, I'll read it to you. It's, it's quote, are you experiencing it? An amazing spiritual and relational revolution is currently underway. The bride of Christ is returning to her original love. God is renewing, redefining and reconstructing her into the life receiving, life giving community she was designed to be. God's invitation to vibrant, beloved community, is breaking into our way of life. God is telling a story that demands disruption, reclaiming a relational Christian culture for our time that reveals the multifaceted wisdom of God, who is love, end quote. What is God doing? Chad, how how have you been experiencing God breaking into your way of doing Christian culture or church. What would you say to that?
1: Well, I want you said a statement that I just want to focus on. You said reclaiming. That's quoted in the book, reclaiming. So we're not talking about some new fad. We're not talking about some new move. We're not talking about the latest church growth. And that's really what I want people to hear, reclaiming truths that have always been. We're going back to the foundation of what the church was. You know, there's this this, I've heard this in the church growth movement for so long. They met house to house and publicly. And so it was one of the foundations people used on uh, uh, to build the small group thought on. And that's a great thought. The only problem was. House to house usually was a just just a regurgitation of the public meeting. So I, I see this all the time. Hey, get together and let's talk about what the pastor talked about on Sunday. And, and honestly, nobody wants to do that. And, and we, we tried through the church growth to force people to do that. But what, what this is doing, what Luke 10 is doing, is reclaiming the relational aspect of the church where they ate together, they shared all in common, they were together, and they connected. Yes, there may be some talk about the apostles' teaching, there may be some instruction, there may be, but more than anything, they were connected together relationally. And I, I think that's one of the things that has been missing. And that's why when I heard the vision of Luke 10, I thought no church planting organization should be without these rhythms. It, it doesn't replace what people have done or are doing. It augments because this can be done within any church organization, these rhythms. And so I think the, the thing that's so powerful is the word reclaiming, reclaiming what it was. Jesus said, I will build my church. And I think it it is important that we figure out how he wants to build that and what he was doing. And, it, you know, it, it, when you read the book, and I do strongly urge you to go and order the book. It's inexpensive, and this it will help you in this journey as we traverse through all the chapters, but you'll hear that the book was birthed out of these three people listening to Jesus, and he literally interrupted them in planning one thing to say, hey, talk about this. And I I love that about Luke 10 and the leaders that are involved in Luke 10. They're listening to Jesus. All right, Jesus, you want to build your church? How do you want to do it? And I think that's so important. And I think that will change the rhythms, Our finding these rhythms will change the the the, the planting of any uh, thriving, Jesus-loving folks, whatever church looks like for you. This will change that. It'll change the small group. It'll change everything. And there's a, a quote written to—it's uh, in the chapter, Dear Reader, at the beginning, that gets me because— um, I just want to mention this, Jason, in connection with this. And it simply says this. There's a whole sentence. I just want to take one part. If we steward that pain well, if we steward that pain well, and it's talking about the pain that all of us have gone through in church. And here's the thing. I think many people haven't stewarded that pain well. And instead, they turned against the church and said, I no longer want anything to do with church. I I watch people going through what they call deconstruction, and they deconstruct their faith, they deconstruct believing in Christ, they go all the way to nothing is nothing and nothing matters. And I'm just saying, folks, you're not stewarding your pain well if it takes you to believe in absolutely nothing. Now, now listen, I don't blame you in giving up on a Jesus that is hate-hating and and mean and wants to send folks to hell. I don't blame you in giving up on a God who is retributive. I don't blame you in in giving up on on the the pain that you've had through church. But but we are through this relational revolution book and through the rhythms of Luke ten. We are inviting you to learn to steward your pain well, so that you can learn personally what it is, what this relational revolution is. And I know this for a fact, Jason, you can read this book, you can study it, you can left brain it until you get it all. But if you don't practice the rhythms that we're going to talk about, you'll never personally understand it. You won't get it. And if you just try to add it as another tool in your tool belt, you you won't get it. It is so important that you get the book, that you read it, that you practice with us. And I know there are gonna be times when Jason and I talk about these rhythms and even practice them here with you because we love to do that. Um and it, it'll make all the difference in your life.
0: Mm, so well said, Chad. Well before we get to the the big picture, I'll I'll share a little bit about who who is Luke 10.
1: Yes, please, Jay.
0: It is, is um <clears throat> It's simply put, for me, that Luke tends this network of joy-fueled, Jesus-led communities of practice that are equipping spiritual parents, spiritual moms and dads, to nurture ecosystems of grace. And right in their introduction, they're they're stating that they're a Christian movement fueled by joy, led by Jesus— And these spiritual leaders, moms and dads, all over the world are training together to spontaneously love everyone. And thousands, I believe it's over 39 countries, are learning to nurture beloved communities that represent the multifaceted wisdom of God to the world. And the way that we structure our meetings really bring up, uh, really pave a pathway for the spontaneity of the spirit. And so we believe that um, everyone has a voice and that every voice matters. And Come on. we practice moving from sage on the stage to facilitating church in such a way that we can adduce or draw out the golden incarnate life of the Son of God in each and every meeting.
1: All right, don't, don't just pass by that. Did, did y'all hear what he said sage on the stage? Let's just sit in that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Sage on the stage. Uh, y'all, you might as well know this. I, I'm probably going to make references to silly things, and you're going to already hear it in my friend Jason. Wow, what beauty and depth he speaks with. I, I, he's helping me. He's seasoning my life with this. But y'all, don't don't go past this. Did you hear what he said it's so much more than listening to a sage on a stage, but finding depth and glory and beauty in the relationship. And it happens, y'all, it happens in such a beautiful way.
0: Mm. And we're inviting uh, you all uh, to participate in this relational revolution. And so the big picture, Chad, uh, that we can bring to our listeners, that, that there is a shift for rediscovering church church as heart-to-heart connection. So I've been going to church for 45 years. I've participated in church, I've planted churches, I've even pastored them. I've truly seen the good, the bad, and the ugly amidst the beauty and brokenness of Christ's body. And a majority of the time, it's been an emphasis of head over heart, duty over delight, and information over transformation. And most of my experience in church has been more about uh, belief than belonging. And there seemed to be more of a priority to be right rather than getting it right. And by that, I mean relationships. More times than I can count, I've seen more marginalizing and ostracizing in the name of truth in my church experience. But we know that the followers of Jesus will be known by not their biblical brilliance, not by their political position, not by their apologetic ability or their denominational upgrade. No, the world will know we are disciples by our love. And like something, right? Unless we've seen it displayed in the context of relationships, we'll lack the skills to stay in these life-giving relationships when it gets too hard or when it gets too heated, we tend to jump out of community or even jump out of our own bodies. And we not only ghost others, we can even ghost ourselves. And without healing from those ruptures in relationships, we stay wounded. And since it's in relationships where we've been wounded, relationships are the way we'll be healed. Father, Son, and Spirit, Relationship par excellence has chosen the dynamic of relationship to be the crucible for transformation. This is the big picture on why I believe the Lord is disrupting the way we've done church so that we can be the church of Christ. Thoughts from you, Chad?
1: Well, Jay, you just stated why this matters so much to me because it's not enough just to learn things but the application of them. And that is one of the things that, that has impressed me so much is that I, I haven't just learned relational skills because you don't really know them and they don't go deep into your heart and they don't actually become ways of life until you practice them. And in, in, in practicing these relational skills, it has created new pathons, new neuropathons for me, so that now I understand not just knowledge, but I have practical application of it. And I see how it helps, I see how it improves relationships. And that's why this matters so much to me. Because you said it, we're wounded in community. And it's in community we're healed. But many folks, because of being wounded in community, don't want that common unity anymore. They don't want to be in community. But we're not asking you to find communion with hurt. We're asking you to find communion with healing and with 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 uh, spiritual moms and dads and spiritual family who love you and are are happy to be with you man when i've met some of the people with Luke 10 i've been like dang are these people fake or what is going on they they, they meet me and then their they their faces light up and they're like it's so good to meet you uh, and i'm like do i know you what is going on here But there's such a genuine love and joy and and pleasure to be with you that it's like a Walmart greeter who I feel like really wants me to get in there and shop, man. Except these people are inviting me into their beautiful houses of peace, their souls and their peering into my soul with such joy. And I don't feel naked, I feel clothed with love. And I feel clothed with kindness. And I feel love covering a multitude of, of, oh crap, what's going on right now? As we connect in such deep relationship. And that's why it matters. That's why it matters. But Jay, I would like for you to talk to me about why it works so much. Why has it happened that in, in just a year, I've been serving the Lord for so many years, and yet in just a year, so much life has come to my, to my life. T- tell me why it works so well.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, I love how you're talking about uh, the healing journey of not just staying in uh, the pain that you alluded to earlier. And if we don't steward that pain uh, well, and to transform it into peace and power, we'll continue to transmit that pain onto those closest to us. And we'll continue to bleed on others that haven't even cut us.
1: Right. So, and well, Richard Rohr well. J. Remember in the book, they quote Richard Rohr. You'll see the quote in there. We don't even enter into the second half of life. We don't get to, and I, you know, it's funny because I think maybe at 57, I entered the second half of life where um, 56. Um, where uh, I started stewarding the pain well. And, and maybe I started before then, I don't know, I don't know the timeline. All I know is, man, things change if you steward the pain well.
0: Mm, so good. Well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk about how, how it's working and maybe some of our um, points to the community of practice, which will be a separate episode. But a little bit more on you know why it really matters to, uh, to, to my heart to see this relational revolution. You know, I realized, Chad, that if, if something didn't change in uh, my church attendance or pastoring or discipling, that if the church didn't actually look like Jesus, the collateral damage of religion in God's name would continue to bring about this hurt <laughs> instead of healing, like you're saying. And I've been asking myself for a long time, what would it look like to make church relational again? What would it look like to make church relational again, a space free of nastiness, a space healed from narcissism, a space that cultivates belonging, a space that celebrates the belovedness of all people? What would it look like to facilitate church in such a way that every voice is heard, every heart attuned, and every face is glad to be with you no matter what? And I love the way that we're reimagining and rediscovering church uh, all over the world uh, within within Luke 10. And I found this to be that actual space where I'm seen, I can see others through the lens of heaven. And so what would it look like to make church relational again? Again, and I think that's the question as this relational revolution addresses with some really practical and tangible answers not complete, there are others, so many others, other organizations, other vibrant families of Jesus that are being part of lighting a candle in the midst of the darkness. And so one, out of these values that this book will talk about, there are these five shifts or five values, Um, I, I believe that God's people are experiencing and being offered this new way of being church rather than doing church. And like you said earlier, this is more of a reclamation than an absolute deconstruction. And we want to go ahead and not promote um, any kind of um, organization or, or agenda. We're just saying this is the one that we're in now, one of many, that is reclaiming what we think the intent of what Jesus was telling us about church. So the vision of Luke 10 is, is to see these vibrant families of Jesus in close reach of everyone on the planet. And the way to do so is to connect and equip maturing spiritual parents uh, in that context of healthy family who can nurture this revolution. And we want to go ahead and find and distinguish the signal of Christ within the noise of Christianity. And there's more to the backstory, Chad, um, but more thoughts on on how it works and maybe even your participation on some of the leader teams or what comes to mind for you.
1: Well, I several things you said, Jason, um, heart-to-heart connection. That is just so important. And I think it's what people are looking for. And then you, you, you made the statement about belief over belonging. Um, which is something we found in the last church we planted that people are looking for belonging. It's not even they don't even uh, focus a lot on what you believe and they just want to be loved. And that's why I think it's so important the church has to get this. and and I agree with you, we're we're not trying to promote one thing over another. And that's why I made this statement earlier. This works within the context of any group, what we're going to discuss, what we're going to talk about. It works anywhere. Sunday school, okay, you can do these rhythms. Um, you, you meet at McDonald's with a group of people, you can do these rhythms. Yes. You, can, Jay and I do these rhythms at, at coffee gatherings often. I mean, it's just that simple. This is not to replace anything. This is to augment your search for belonging over belief. And um, Jay gave you the whole uh, vision statement, and that's a whole lot of stuff. And it's gonna take us a while to dig through what it means to be joy-fueled and Jesus-led and to explain what uh, communities of practicing this looks like. So, that, that and, and honestly, for me, that's the whole purpose of this podcast, so we can disseminate in such a beautiful way all of this information and invite you along on the journey. And that, again, is what matters so much to me.
0: Hmm. Well, it matters to you and it matters to so many across the globe. Um, Some of the the data that is in the book they speak of, and it it is dated data, that there are over 65 million people who have walked away from institutional church um, in the U.S. Uh, These are those that are done with church, but not necessarily done with Jesus. And so we're really hoping that uh, this book or reflections on it, and as we discuss and explore what it looks like to revolutionize our relationship with, with, um, with the Bible, with church, with people, with our emotions, whatever it might be, we're really bringing that invitation for others to Come to that signal, signal of Christ. But if I would say that, what the bottom line is for for uh, this relational revolution podcast uh, that's springing forth even from this book is that, in, in no way, to echo even to echo what you're saying, in no way is this book trying to tear down the church. Oh. To be clear, just so the there opposite. Christians, there are Christians who have completely jumped ship. They're deconstructing their faith. But then there are those who are just, like I said, simply done with church, but not with God. And it's been said that it's easier to curse the darkness than to light a candle. And there are many that are deconstructing and completely walking away from their faith. But the way that I perceive the crumbling of unhealthy Christian culture is that, again, Luke 10, one of many, many spots are holding this torch of hope that radiates the face of Christ in the midst of the capsizing of unhealthy Christian culture. And I see this book, Relational Revolution, illuminating the radiance of God's heart in the midst of a beautiful and broken world. And in the midst of many Christians being done with the church, there's a voice of hope that glistens in the darkness of disillusionment. In the midst of this distorted noise of cultural Christianity, there is a guide to help us discern the signal of Christ from the mayhem of the noise. In the midst of the dizziness of disorientation, there are hands of belonging available to steady us beyond belief. And so I like to say more than believing better or more than trying harder, there's a freedom in letting go of half-brained and disembodied discipleship and I look forward to getting into the neurotheology the brain science of a lot of these practices of how they are bringing about this uh, revolution of uh, connection so what if God is disrupting the way that we do church so we can learn how to be church what if instead of being right we could learn to be relational Uh, how am I going to learn how to do church with 500 people, Chad, if I can't even do it with the people that live closest to me? What would it look like to be known in this world by our love, not just in tongue, but in deed? And so the invitation really is to learn how to grow in this relational wholeness and emotional maturity. And so there is an invitation to go deeper, to explore healthy attachment as the hub of connection with our brothers and sisters in christ and i I just want our listeners to really pay attention to what might be going on inside of them curiously if they're interested in reimagining their experience of church in such a way that this healthy heart-to-heart connection brings about this relational joy we can go deeper in so many directions chad Um, What thoughts are coming to you?
1: So I I just want to echo, Jason, your thoughts of we are inviting people to go on this journey with us. And uh, we this podcast is not a place where we say we have all the answers. This podcast is not a place where we say we've figured it all out. But this podcast is two brothers in Christ who have found some pretty cool stuff and who have discovered Jesus in new ways. And this podcast, in through this, we're inviting you in on this beautiful journey. We're reaching out to those of you, as Jason said, are the dones. You're done with the way church has been being done, and you're ready for something different, and you're looking for deeper relationships. And maybe you launched out and you decided you were just going to have a tennis club and play with those folks. And that was going to be your new community. But you found that's not enough for you. Or maybe you just decided you were going to hang out at, at some place where people are and spend time with your friends. But still, even in those rhythms, something is missing. And you know it. You know there's something deeper. I'm telling you, The rhythms that we're talking about of deep connection, deep spiritual connection and finding belonging and traversing the beauty of the spirit realm with other folks. I'm telling you, you're going to find this is what you've been waiting for. And so we just invite you in on this journey. We're not asking you to believe everything we believe. We're we're just inviting you to, to have a place where as you are deconstructing and reconstructing reconstructing, and as you're going through transformation, this is a place you can belong. We're, we're offering for a family of believers who are even struggling with to find out what they believe to join with us as we do the rhythms here with you. And as we walk together, that's the invitation. Um, we're opening up our hearts and saying, We know what you've been through. Maybe not every story. Jason and I have different stories, but we're even amazed when we sit and talk how much our stories align. And I'm sure there are so many people that are going to tune into this podcast. And you have the same story. You love Jesus, but there's got to be more. You love the Trinity. You love fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what does it mean to be one with them and one with my brothers and sisters and what can this look like we invite you to go deeper with us as we discuss these things that jason's mentioned as we dig into these principles and as we practice these rhythms i can promise you i know from experience it will change your life
0: Mm, and some people chad may get it and they may not get it and and that's okay because we're all in different levels of maturity We're all in different stages and seasons of our faith as Christ followers. Uh, But Luke 10 really uh, identifies uh, in their introduction in the book as an organization or a community for second half of lifers. And you had mentioned that. And these second half of lifers, and I think that is a phrase from Richard Rohr, these second half of lifers are maturing elders and trainers who are learning from one another as we explore uncharted relational territory in the body of Christ. This is right from their introduction, and they continue. Luke 10 has a place for a first half of lifers as well. Life inevitably brings crisis. Before disorientation hits is the time to learn these critical relational skills that will build resilience to not only survive but thrive in the years to come. It's also comforting and empowering to be in a community with folks who understand what you're going through because they have already navigated similar difficulties in life, end of quote. And so this second half of life, before I ask you if you have some comments on it, is if for me, it's less about ego and more about the essence of who we really are. And there's, There's a a new way of doing church for me where there's less defending, less blaming, less accusation, less attacking, less avoiding, uh, less denying. And the cloak of the false self that we've woven of who we thought we were is transfigured by the light of love into our true selves. There's freedom. Uh, There's a, a, a poet named Octavio Paz, and I can identify with this uh, this short segment that I'll uh, I'll share with you in in terms of the second half of life, and I wonder how it resonates with our listeners and with you, Chad. The second half of life is not a biological time frame, but it's when we've hit the wall and how we respond. And, and uh, Octav- Octavio Paz says, "With great difficulty, advancing by millimeters each year." I carve a road out of the rock. For millenniums, my teeth have wasted and my nails broken to get there, to the other side, to the light and the open air. And now that my hands bleed and my teeth tremble, unsure in a cavity cracked by thirst and dust, I pause and contemplate my work. I've spent the second part of my life breaking the stones, drilling the walls, smashing the doors, removing the obstacles I placed between the light and myself in the first part of my life. End of that quote. And so this whole idea of what the second half of life is about is, is identified in the, in the intro to the book. It's talking about identifying and knowing the rules that we've been following, but we don't see them in the same light. And it shows, up, shows us that there's more than just rules alone is uh, not enough to bring about character transformation and healthy relationships. And so as we steward our pain and healing with the shepherd, going through these existential crises whether it could be, uh, could be dealing with grief, it could be um, the church hurt, it could be um, a myriad of stories, but the second half of life is this wake up call to pay attention to all that Father, Son, and Spirit have been maybe pointing to areas in our life where we have been arrested in our development and the invitation to pay radical attention to maybe where those triggers and hurts are or pointing out areas in our life where maybe we're unhealed and unfree. But as we connect in this heart-to-heart way of facilitating church, there is that invitation to grow up into all things that are Christ second half of life, Chad, how does that work for you?
1: So beautiful, Jason. I, I, for me, I, I know that the second half of life started some years back, at least the the beginnings of it, when I started dealing with uh, dualistic thinking. And I remember when I first heard that phrase and uh, started studying non-dual thinking, and, and maybe in some future podcasts we'll talk more about that. But simply put, it's it's when things are this way or that. It's us or them. It's just there are only two ways. and And starting to embrace that a third way. And even that phrase for me, with such black and whiteness in the world, you're right or wrong, the theology, it's got to be this or that. And when I started confronting dualistic thinking within myself, and then I started looking at What might be a third way? And and then um, something started evolving in me. And I went from a place of feeling like as a pastor, as a speaker, as a leader, I had all the answers. And I started realizing I have more questions than answers. Uh, Many years ago, I I, I started doing this practice of why do I say I believe this? And honestly, some of my theology started unraveling. And it was difficult for me. I really got down to I knew I knew two things. Uh, My friend Jason Clark says it this way, too. I only know that God is good and devil is bad. Uh And beyond that, Jason, I just didn't know a whole lot. God is good. Devil is bad. I just did not know. And um, I I literally at times would take a, a legal pad and write down why I say this and then go through Scripture searching and then try to figure out with my experience. This will land differently on some of you guys. With my experience, does this make sense what I believe? Because more than just Scripture, sorry, we'll address that later, was what is the experience in my life all these years? And why do I say this? I found there were things that I said I believe that aren't even in Scripture. Somebody just taught it that way. I found scriptures that were taken out of context. I started reading the early church fathers. And I want to be honest with you. I had never done that before. I I used to make fun of it and say like Jason Twombly. He's the kind of guy who quotes from all the early church fathers. And I don't even know those dudes. I want (laughs) current present day theology. And I had to go back to the beginning to find that there was some stuff left out. And when all that stuff started unraveling for me, Jason, It just became very disconcerting that there were things I believed that weren't scriptural, that weren't theologically sound, and it created for me this uh, battle with dualistic thinking, and I started finding a third way, which I literally think was my birth canal into the second half of life. Mm. And I would like to say it was one experience. And then all of a sudden I was in the, the, the second half of life, but really it was the experience of breaking those things down. And then some through pain, some through controversy, some through brokenness that really introduced where I'm at now in, in that i don't have all the answers i don't even know if i have all the questions right anymore and it just doesn't matter there's such a place of peace with being able to say i don't know about that or, i'm not sure i don't have an answer for that but i know one thing god sure is good to be able to look at any doctrine or anything somebody's spewing at me or anything's coming at me uh, to be able to say, well, this, I know God is good. And, and, and that's not a cop-out. I know greater love is at work and he's going to produce something in this. Mm. So this second half of life, um, I, I would like to add this. It is so important what Jason said. You may think, well, I'm not in second half of life. Everything's rocking and rolling for me. This is the perfect time for you to learn these rhythms so, that when you meet the conflict of entering the second half of life, you have these rhythms and relationships, and you can do this with beauty and majesty, and maybe you won't have the crap storm that I went through or others have gone through. Maybe you can navigate these things better. That's what I want for the church, that we can all use these, whether you're just starting this journey or you've been in this for a while, we can do this and we will be stronger together walking through this.
0: Hmm, so good. I love how uh, you embrace calm in the midst of uncertainty or how calm is embracing you um, in the midst of what you may be certain or uncertain about, because I know in the church, the, there's a, the primacy of the intellect and belief has troubled oh. many of um, our experiences, particularly for men that tend to live and some ladies too, but I know men, I coach men that live from the neck up and we live in that primacy um, of the intellect. And it's so beautiful to see, um, what God is doing in us and our conversations, and and we'll discuss the scriptures. And you know, what if scriptures are uh, not the landing pad, but a launching pad? Come on, and we'll discuss so uh, the Old Testament, New Testament, as uh, the amateur theologians that we are. Uh, but we're in it. We're <laughs> in it. We've been in it for a long, long time. And so, I, I, I'll I'll uh, maybe bring us to uh, to a close shortly. Um, in in the book. Of relational revolution uh, in the introduction, they're, they're referencing that in each church renewal, quote, throughout history, when God's people heated our hunger and answered that call, we realize there's an invitation to something much greater than our current Christian experience. End of quote. And for those listeners that have been bumping their heads against their the ceiling of their church experience. We would love to invite you into something above that ceiling. If you have a headache from that, Come we want invite you into these conversations of that's how, good, Jason. Uh, mystical and 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 majestical, uh, the Lord is. Um, back to the introduction, they say throughout history this invitation it's been there, has become hidden or distorted by the imperfect cultures that God's people have formed. And again, we want to distinguish and discern the signal of Christ within the cacophony of Christianity because there is a call of the spirit and of the bride. And I'll bring us to maybe a close with these words from uh, page nine of the book that perhaps uh, you'll pick up. And it's a clear, clear invitation. And and it reads this way. This story calls us deeper into joy-fueled relationship. It can be summed up in three phrases. In the beginning is joy. In the end will be deeper joy. In between is an astounding invitation. Come, share our joy. Two scenes bookend our place in this narrative. Before God said, let us make humankind in our image. Before God planted the garden of joy. Before the eternal word spoke. Before the spirit brooded over the watery chaos. There was father son and spirit an amazing community a gift-giving community an interdependent family of love sharing life in an eternal dance of joy at the end of the story we find the fellowship of, of delight the father is present the son is present the spirit is present but there is another present she along with the spirit invites the reader to come the spirit and the bride say come and let The one who hears say come, and let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without cost. And as we move on to our next episode, there'll be some next steps. where We'll invite you to participate in conversation with the book. There'll be ways to communicate with us. But we would love to to name those distortions of church, of God, of Of how we connect with one another, and then also invite us into a discussion of these five values or these five shifts for rediscovering church as healthy heart-to-heart connection. So would you join us um, to lift up the torch of radiant hope as we enter into these
1: conversations? Absolutely. And and I want to suggest that you go on Amazon, folks, go ahead and buy the book, you will not regret it. Go ahead and order it. You know, if you order it, by the time you listen to our next podcast, you can be right there with us. And I think it'll be good for you um, to, to have the book so that you can read it and and, and uh, go with us through this. And then I want to encourage you to do something. If you have questions, I want you to reach out to us. We would love to discuss those questions. And all you've got to do is reach out to us at Revolut. Uh, sorry, Relational Revolution Podcast. I'm getting used to saying that, (laughs) y'all. If you'll reach out to us at relationalrevolutionpodcast at gmail.com, we will answer those questions. Uh, We'll do our best. I I can promise you this. We'll talk about it. We'll think together. Come let us reason together. We will Put our best brains to it and we'll discover what we can because we're in this together. And so get your book, go on Amazon, you look it up, Relational Revolution and uh, order it. And then as we start talking about the five shifts and going through those, we can um, do those together. Again, if you have any questions, uh, reach out to us at the Relational Revolution podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again really soon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us on the Relational Revolution Podcast. And remember, if you have any questions for us or you'd like to make any comments, you can reach us at relationalrevolutionpodcast at gmail.com. That's relationalrevolutionpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about Luke 10, you can go to lk10.com. That's Luke 10 lk10.com and you can read more about Luke 10 and how you can get involved.